Hey, I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Ashley. And you're listening to All Bodies, All Foods, presented by the Renfrew Center for Eating Disorders. We want to create a space for all bodies to come together authentically and purposefully to discuss various areas that impact us on a cultural and relational level. We believe that all bodies and all foods are welcome. We would love for you to join us on this journey. Let's learn together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of All Bodies, All Foods. Sam and Ashley are here today, and we are joined by a guest, Dana Altman. We're going to talk to Dana today about um, her experience um, in recovery. Dana is an alum of Renfrew, and so I want to share a little bit about her. Um, Dana Altman is an energetic and dynamic speaker, entrepreneur, author, and creator, the full force and sole operator of Bake It Till You Make It, LLC. Dana harvests her passion for mental health advocacy by using food and baking to create an authentic recipe for vulnerable storytelling. A nationally recognized mental health leader by the Biden-Harris administration, a dual graduate of Northeastern University, and an active Boston community member, Dana has experience both working in the mental health field and with youth-based nonprofits. Currently, Dana pursues writing poetry, documentary filmmaking, and exploring new ways to change the world using her own voice. Living with depression and OCD, as well as being in recovery from an eating disorder and sexual assault, Dana works each day to become her message. Dana, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be with both of you and to talk to you and share my story and uh, yeah, just be in your presence. Like the energy (laughs) even on like over video is just, it's, uh, it's so dynamic. It's palpable. I'm I'm so happy to be here. Oh, thank you. Yay, we're happy to have you. We were just saying how you took over Renfrew's Instagram and we were watching it and loving it. And we're just so happy to have you on because we want to learn more about you. Yes. I'm excited (laughs) to share. (laughs) So Dana, yeah, I was telling Sam, I feel like I know you already because I've totally stalked you on Instagram. And then also like having your, you know, you do the takeover, which I loved was just awesome. But I would love if you wouldn't mind to just start out with telling us a little bit about yourself and sharing with our audience, maybe a little bit about your story. And um, yeah, we'll just go from there. How does that sound? That sounds great. So (laughs) yeah, so I'm Dana. Um, I use the she, her, hers pronouns. I just turned 30. Well, (laughs) I have to stop saying that because I turned 30 like six months ago. (laughs) I I just turned 30 until I'm 31. Anyway, I I catch myself saying that. Um, I am a mental health entrepreneur and um, really all of the work that I do in the mental health field, whether it's speaking or writing or pursuing advocacy in whatever way though the world takes me. Um, it's all really based on this idea of wanting to be there um, for my younger self or like wanting to lighten the load for the next generation. I think yeah. that um, that's something that I've been seeing a lot. 
like on TikTok and Instagram, people like reparenting their inner child. And I think that, um, that really resonates with me. I think when I was struggling the most with my mental health, which I'll share a little bit about in a a moment, but, um, I didn't have a role model or like someone that, um, I felt like I saw experiencing what I was experiencing. I didn't think that I thought there was something wrong with me because, um, it felt so lonely. And so I think that being honest and an authentic advocate is like the number one priority of all of my work. Um, I think that's something that has really been helpful for me in recovery too. I think when I first started my advocacy journey, I felt a lot of pressure to like be just like positive all the time. Like I'm recovered, check, like mental health is over. Like that was a part of my life, but I find I have so many more valuable connections and so much more of an impact being honest that this is, this is like a journey I'm going to be on for the rest of my life. And, um, this is something that I am going to struggle with in some capacity. Um, and I'm okay with that. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes people hear that, or I say that there's like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, but for me, I find it empowering, um, because I do feel like, being an advocate and sharing my story is like what I was meant to do, um, and my purpose Mm -hmm. in this life. So I think that, um, that's only inspiring into me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, but in terms of my own story, so yeah, so I grew up really struggling with my mental health, um, Mm -hmm. kind of my whole life. I think my parents, my mom in particular has a very unhealthy relationship with food. And so growing up in that environment, I didn't realize like you could like your body or love it. Or like there was any, there was yeah. any life outside of being on a diet. Like I really, sometimes I share that and people are surprised, but I'm like, imagine being like a little kid in that environment. Yeah. Like you don't right. know any different, you know, yeah. growing up as a millennial um, and like seeing on TV and like 17 magazine, like all of the media I was consuming too, was very diet focused, very yeah. body focused. And so of course, like that, that for me meant like, that was inspiration null to me. Like if I was going to be enough, if I was going to have love, then like I was going to be the smallest possible or like the most perfect person. And so, um, I kind of went through my elementary school through high school career, really struggling with restriction, but also with anxiety, um, and depression, but I didn't have words for that. I never saw a therapist. I never sought help. Um, I think my parents were really, um, uneducated about the resources that were available in our community, which they admit yeah. to, like, I'm not saying anything poorly yeah. about that. We just didn't know that I yeah. could have received help earlier. So it wasn't until I got to college where things became, um, too hard to ignore it. Like I was not functioning and mm-hmm. I'm really lucky because I made some really great friends early on in my college career who knew where the resources were, brought, yeah. brought me to the counseling center. We're like, you know, you need help. Um, and yeah, I've been therapy ever since, um, which is great. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. so, um, yeah, so I was diagnosed with anxiety, depression, and eating disorder. And, you know, when I first heard that, I was diagnosed with an eating disorder. I, I felt like almost like surprised because Uh I had in my mind what someone with an eating disorder looks like or feels like, and that was not how I saw myself or how I felt. And I think that is so dangerous and damaging because I feel like there are so many people. So this is my little soapbox. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, I just feel like, (laughs) I just feel like it's, that's really tough because I feel like there's so 
people who um, could benefit from from help, whether um, it's therapy, Renfrew, you know, huge um, advocate and friend of Ren, of the Renfrew Center, um, but any any type of support um, because I didn't know that I needed it. I didn't yeah. think I looked like I needed help, and for that reason, like it was really confusing for me to have that diagnosis yeah. at first. Yeah. Can I just add, Dana, that you, yeah. your experience, what you're sharing with us right now, one, it's not the first time that either Sam nor I mm-hmm. have heard this. We're both clinicians and and both work at Renfrew, but both have private practices. And the amount of people that say, I didn't realize that this was my story as well, or that like, right. I you know, I'm air quoting, but like fit into this category as well. Um, that, I mean, honestly, that's why we're doing this podcast is we want to educate and we want to bring resources and awareness to people that are listening because right. There is no, there's no one person and no one body type and no one experience that is going to have the eating disorder, right? It can be any of us. Yeah. Dana, for you, how did it not match up for you? Like, what was your image of like what an eating disorder was supposed to look like and how did you differ from that? Yeah. What a good question. I think that, um, no one's ever asked me that before. So I have, I'm having a moment (laughs) of pause here. Um, no, that's a great question. Yeah. I guess like for me, I thought about like my idols in the nineties, like Britney Spears, yeah. like you know, celebrities in that capacity. But I also think that something that my mom and I would do, or my mom would ask me to do would be to like compare her body to other bodies. And for me mm. having like that comparison game, I think, especially earlier, early as a young kid, I think for me, I just always felt like I'm going to compare myself to like the person, like the thinnest person in the room or whatever. And like, yeah. that, if I'm not them. Then like, that's that I don't have an eating disorder, yeah. um, which is so not true at all. Um, but I think that that, yeah, like always comparing bodies and like not knowing, you know, struggling with body dysmorphia myself, but also my mom, like never really understanding what she looked like or like, and needing that like, um, validation or support. Mm-hmm. And, um, getting kind of a better idea, I think was really me is what made me compare myself and think like, well, I'm not this person I saw at the supermarket or I'm not what my mom aspires to be, or mm-hmm. I'm not Britney Spears. So yeah, mm-hmm. one of those things. Um, right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. media has such an impact. I was like, I was really yeah. curious when you said, you know, I, you know, I was growing up like watching TV and I was just yeah. thinking to myself, I wonder like what shows you were watching and what, you know, celebrities were like big then. And how do you think that impacted you? Yeah. So I remember it uh, like a particular episode of Lizzie McGuire, like where Miranda <laughs> has like is struggling with an eating disorder yeah. for like one episode. Right. And then like gets forgotten. Um, but I think like, yeah, I think that's kind of what I thought eating disorders mm-hmm. were. Like, I remember, right. I remember it so vividly. Like she was like, she like passed out or something. And like, that was when mm. like everyone knew she needed help where like, um, I think, and I think that really impacted me because I was restricting like most of my high school career and like mm. no one ever really knew. I don't think I even knew, um, what I was doing to be honest. Um, but yeah, so I think like that, that type of show I've also seen like on TikTok, um, like episodes of Zoe 101. I don't remember that like specific, that show specifically mm-hmm. contributing to like a narrative that made sense for me, like eating shorter wise, but I see it now and I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. Like our generation, that is what we, that's what we saw. And, right. um, 
Yeah. Right. And the symptoms aren't always so obvious. Like not everyone is like passing out when they have an eating disorder and it's like restricting gets so lost in Mm -hmm. diet culture or in families even where it just is like, some people think it's like healthy. Right. Exactly. Right. It's like making like good choices and quotes, like whatever that means. Um, right. Yeah. Right. So I, I agree. Totally. Yeah. So, oh, Dean, I have so many questions. For you. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Do you want me to goodness. keep going? Like, well, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's keep going. Can we keep going with your story? Cause I'm also curious about, you talked about, you know, your inner child. I like, I'm curious, like, who were you as a kid? Like, yeah. and yeah. you know, how has reparenting yourself helped you in recovery? Mm, Yeah, that's such a good question. I think I was really bubbly, like kind of like I still am today. I was just going to say, yeah. yeah. (laughs) A really bubbly kid who always had like a smile on her face and like a bow Mm. in her hair. And I think I'm still very much that person, but I think that I have the language now and the understanding now that like, I don't have to be here all the time. Cause I think Mm. growing up, that was like the only way I thought like people, that's what I got compliments on. People were like, Oh, so smiley, like so bubbly. So of course I'm like, okay, like smiley is like what I have to be in order to get attention or get love or whatever. Now I have reparenting my inner child, which is like, I think almost like just beginning for me, to be honest, um, is, is really helping me now understand that like, there's so many parts of me and like, yes, my energetic, like bubbly self might draw certain people to me, but like, there's other pieces that are not as energetic, um, that are still lovable, I think in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, it's interesting. So, um, not to jump too much ahead, uh, but I am currently in the process of working on a documentary right now. And, um, I have been watching like old home videos and like seeing Mm. that, like that little girl, I think is, um, really interesting. Cause I have a memory of her, like how I was seeing the world, but like seeing her from the outside, um, and almost hearing and like watching the way I interacted with my family or with my friends and like cringing a little bit, but not because like it's uncomfortable, but more because I'm like, Oh, that's like the only way you know how to communicate. Like you only know how to communicate yeah. by like, asking if you look pretty or like if beauty, I don't know. So there's like, so that's been an interesting journey as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it sounds like you've developed some compassion for little mm-hmm. you. It's like, mm-hmm. that's what you knew. And you were actually pretty resourceful because you figured out really fast how to get praise and how to, you know, feel loved. And, and you, and, and you did that. Yeah. So I'm so glad you brought up reparenting because I think that I think you're absolutely right. It's like a lifelong journey where we're trying to take care of all parts of ourselves. Yeah. I think something that's been really helpful in that part, um, in that journey is also noticing when, like what age or like what part of me is like making decisions or like driving the bus. The bus, yeah. Yeah. Words. Um, because that's been really interesting as well to kind of like understand, okay, I'm making these decisions at this age or like this part of me is in charge, but like who would put an eight-year-old in charge? You know, I don't, that's always helpful for me to think about too, when I'm thinking like, how am I handling this right now? I guess. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I'm curious, Dana. So like, okay, moving to college. So you finally get into therapy in college, you said? Yes, exactly. I started taking medication, which was definitely, and I, I, I bring it up because I think that everyone has really different ideas or relationships with meds. And like, yeah. for me, I never thought I would be someone who took medication, but it's been so helpful. Like it's just another tool for me. And obviously mm-hmm. it's a very personal decision and there's a lot of um, factors that go into it. But I always like to talk about how helpful finding the right medication was because it really did bring me to a place where I could engage in therapy or like mm-hmm. engage yeah. in being resourceful with tools. Because I think without it, I just, I was just trying to manage the anxiety and like living just with that, that level of anxiety just wasn't sustainable. So I started medication. And then after my freshman year or kind of toward the end of my freshman year, I had met a friend um, who was a senior and she struggled with an eating disorder herself and her during Mm. her freshman year, it was kind of like, look, I think you need help. Like you should talk to your therapist Mm. about getting like further treatment. So I spent the summer Uh, that whole summer in different programs. I think Mm -hmm. my first experience of eating disorder treatment was really hard. I think that Mm -hmm. I had in my mind, I was like, I'm showing up, I'm going to be better. And like Mm -hmm. the questions I was being asked to like, think about the relationship I have with my family, like think about how I'm going to cope if I'm not restricting. I was not ready for that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so that made the first experience that I had in treatment, like really hard because I think- that I also had in my head that like, if the treatment wasn't working, then like, what's wrong with me? Like what mm-hmm. if like I'm broken because like I'm showing up every day for six weeks and like, I feel worse. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful to have had the resources, like the therapist I was seeing over that summer, um, was able to see like, now it's not necessarily treating the eating disorder. Like the depression is really scary. And like the suicide, yeah. suicidal ideation really came to something that I wasn't able to, to resist or thinking about. So I ended up in a different program, um, more focused on depression. Um, and I, at first, so when I left, I was like, okay, my life is amazing. Like I am. So through that program, I decided I want to become a social worker because I was like, Mm. I want to go back and help people like me. Um, I also am done with my mental health journey. You know, that's funny. Uh, but that's how I felt when I was leaving. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, Yes. I just felt like, yeah, I mean, in some ways it was like really refreshing to feel like, okay, like I have these new tools. Like I understand what's going on in my head, but, um, it was during that time I started my first nonprofit organization with my sister, I was 18, she was 15 and, um, it was called the beautiful project. And it was all Mm. about kind of understanding, um, where the beauty ideals come from. And, you know, this is a long time ago. Like we were really early in using YouTube as a, um, means of storytelling, which is kind of like when I talk about it now, especially like high school students, they're like, what? Like, no, (laughs) so we were on the cutting edge. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, as amazing as the beautiful project was, and it was my introduction into entrepreneurship and advocacy. That was kind of the experience that I had that where I was like, I have to be recovered. Like I have to be better Mm. because people started interviewing me. Like I was a social work major. I was telling my story. And I think that that was really like kind of like dangerous territory because I was like, oh my gosh, like I actually feel worse. Now I can't get help or I can't say anything. And so the end of that semester into my sophomore year, I ended up taking a medical leave, um, to just really focus on my mental health, which was really hard. I think being a perfectionist and, 
uh, smiley people pleaser Mm -hmm. thinking like I went to a high school that everyone went to college. Like that was not an college is not optional. So being on Facebook, which was the only social media at the time (laughs) and seeing everyone like at college, like going to parties and like seeing like where I was, I think was so challenging because I felt like this is the ultimate, like I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Like I'm on the couch in my parents' house. Like I know when I can't even be left alone because like my parents were too worried about my safety. So yeah, yeah, that was really a really hard time. This comes up so much, like folks feeling behind in life. Like, like there's some kind of like timeline we're all supposed to be like rigidly adhering to, but like, Mm -hmm. how did you cope with that? Mm -hmm. For like folks out there who are listening, who are like, feel like they're not hitting those milestones. How did you deal with that? Well, so after, okay. So after like feeling this way, I ended up getting into a treatment, like a different treatment program was there for six weeks. And that, that helped me understand that like, there isn't a timeline, but I guess in the, in the moment, I don't think I knew how to, how to manage those feelings. Uh, Going to that program was life changing. That was life changing. And I can talk about why in a moment, but, um, I think in a lot of ways that experience was like, okay, like, yeah, there's no, there's no timeline, but I think now as an advocate, I heard once, I heard this amazing speaker once who talked about, um, lane eight, like on a track, you, if you're in the eighth lane, like you can't see anyone behind you or in front of you, you just have to run your own best race. And I love Mm. that. Um, Mm. I think I love that Dana. Not mine. Stephanie Walton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stephanie Walton. You're amazing. I adore you. I heard her speak. She was amazing. She wrote a book. Um, and she talks about that. And, um, that's how I think like as a person, yeah, several years out, I think about that a lot. It still comes up for me though. I'm like, why am I not um, well, so many things. I think that the comparison game for me yeah. is natural. It's like almost like what I'm used to, like always like wanting to compare myself. Um, I think another thing that's really helped me in trying in like the idea of like being behind on life, I guess this is a little bit different, but feels similar is thinking about what I value mm-hmm. in terms of success. Cause I think that I've always growing up in like the environment and the community that I grew up in, like, I think I always saw like success, success equals money. <laughs> and that okay. is not something that I am making right now as an entrepreneur, as someone, but I think like something that's really helpful is thinking about like, what do I value? Like I value helping people. I value getting people to therapy. I value like traveling, yeah. all of these things that, um, have, have been, that has really helped the, like, why am I not further along? Why am I not making money? Like, why am I not, you know, like those types of things Um, that's helped now thinking about like, what do I actually care about? Like, do I, do I really care about like you need to live? But like, I don't think that that is how I see success. So I think that's helpful too. I mean, identifying your values is a game changer. Yes. It's one of the first things we do in treatment. It's like, do you know your values? Well, let's come up with five if you don't. And people are like, values, how do I, what, what are they? Well, I was going to say so many people that find themselves in treatment really don't even know the value system, right? Because you Mm -hmm. mentioned that, and and we all have them, but like maybe we've been so disconnected from them for so long because we have been playing that comparison game or the mental health has just taken over our Mm -hmm. lives so much that we just don't even know how to, speak what it is that we do believe in, that we do want. Well, that's the thing with it, especially in eating, when you have an eating disorder, the eating disorder picture values for you. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's like, you're going to care about food. You're going to care, care about the scale and, yeah. and all those deeper values sort of like go under underground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And recovery is like digging them back up. It's like, okay, yeah, what do you like really that. care about? You know? Right. Yeah. That really resonates um, with me too. So I love that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so being in this program really helped me identify my values. Um, but it's also, and I met my therapist. So we've now been working together for 11 years, almost 12 years. Ooh, we've been through, that's amazing. I know. I'm so lucky. We've been through a lot. She doesn't even live in Boston anymore. Like we've been zooming before it was like trendy. It's like, what we like to say, like, um, you know, but she, has really changed my life. And I don't, and yes, it's her and our relationship and what she's taught me. But I think like from a perspective of like trusting myself, which is something that I never had and I'm still working on, she has helped me figure out, like, I I guess I always thought going to therapy was like, you just sat with a therapist and they told you what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, <laughs> she does not do that for me ever. And like, at first yeah. I did not like that. I was like, why are you not telling me what to do? Um, but like being able to figure, see that like, I actually can figure it out, like with her support, of course, but like that she doesn't need to tell me what to do. I already know what to do has been life-changing um, mm-hmm. for me. And that has yeah. been just one of the best gifts that I've gotten from, from her. So, um, very great. I I wanted to say, just, it sounds like you have your voice. Like not only are you able to reparent yourself, but you're able to intentionally move through life the way you want to now. Does that feel accurate? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Thank you so much for saying that. I think I've worked so hard. So like the, to hear that you hear that and see that is, is really, amazing. Um, and I so appreciate it. Cause like, I really like what we were talking about with values before, even before treatment, like in middle school and high school, I feel like I was just going through the motions. Like I just want to yeah. be like everyone else and fit in. And that is not me like at yeah. all. Um, I love, I'm a very supportive partner, um, who is like, you know, just really embraces the fact that like, he's like, you're not like everyone, like everyone else in the best way. Like this yeah. is like I, the fact that you even wanted to be like, is funny because like you were so special and that really, um, means a lot to me too, obviously. Um, but yes, I'm very, very grateful for that. So anyway, um, so yeah, so I went through this program. I ended up transferring schools. I ended up going. Okay. Yeah. That was huge. I love Northeastern so much. However, I don't think that wherever I started college, I don't think I would have stayed. Like, I don't think that it was the college that I went to had anything to do with like, I don't know. Like, I guess I just, I don't put any blame on like the college I started at because it was like, I wasn't ready. And so I feel like if I started at Northeastern, I probably wouldn't have stayed. So your college, my Northeastern college days were exactly what I needed them to be. They were wonderful. I did so many things I didn't think I would do. I ran for homecoming queen. Um, I started an active minds chapter, um, which is like a mental health organization yeah, um, that's dedicated to, yeah, changing the conversation around mental health. Um, I became a leader. I like just, just normal. And it was great. Um, yeah. until my, yeah, until my fourth year of college. So at Northeastern, most students do five years of, of school. And that was actually one of the reasons I wanted to go was because I couldn't imagine like seeing my class graduate without me. Like there was just mm. something about it that just like, didn't feel 
good. So I love that everyone in Northeastern was kind of like on their own timeline. And so my fourth year, um, in the, the first semester, I remember telling my therapist, um, that I want to study abroad. Like that felt really important to me, but we both agreed that like six months, I was not ready for, I don't think I would be ready for that ever. I'm such a homebody. Like I love <laughs> my own space and, um, comfort. And so, yeah, that wasn't going to happen. So I am Jewish and I wanted to go on birthright and birthright is an opportunity for people who are Jewish to go abroad, um, for free for 10 days, like your birthright to go to Israel. And unfortunately I was sexually assaulted while I was there Mm. and that changed everything. Like Mm. that is the moment that I was like, what did I just spend four years doing three years doing? Because I have no coping skills anymore. And, Mm. um, I think it, it was really hard and it was not something unlike my eating disorder and unlike my mental health, journey, like speaking about being a survivor was not something that I did until like two to three years later. And I'm like, I think about that a lot. Unfortunately, I think a lot of my first contacts were kind of like, well, was it that bad? Or like, you know, are you overreacting? And like that, whenever Mm. I, I speak to students or or anyone I can, um, I always say like, just be a friend. Like you don't need to be investigating. Like just, just, because I, I truly think that would have helped my process. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Like I really do. And so it was a long time ago and yet the healing still continues. And, um, you know, I, I did a lot of things that were helpful during that time. One of them, of course, like continuing to see my therapist and, um, but I think another big one was advocacy. Like, even though I wasn't mm. identifying as a survivor myself, I started a fashion show at Northeastern where I donated all the clothing afterwards to like rape crisis shelters. Wow. Um, oh, thank you. It was, that was one of my best events. Um, and so, yeah, it just like, I was able to do things. I was able to use my voice, even if I wasn't attaching my voice yet. And, you know, a couple of years later, I felt like I was able to, and I graduated college, which I never thought I would be able to do. Um, and I ended up working at the, the place that I said I was going to go back to the treatment center that I was like, I'm going to come back here and be a social worker. Mm-hmm. So I worked there for two years and it was a great experience. It really was. Sometimes I think about it and I'm like, should I have stayed longer? Because I really did. Like, I really valued my time there. Um, but I think that, I think I was like, you know, I think that, um, my skill set is maybe better for macro level change. Like, you know, yeah. I don't know if I'm mm-hmm. help. Like, I do think, I do feel like it, it was a good experience. Like the individuals that I got to work with, I hope benefited from my time there, but I just felt like there was so much more, um, I had the resources in me to mm-hmm. make bigger change and um, not necessarily be like being a one-on-one um, clinician just like wasn't what I was going to do. So I went back yeah. to Northeastern um, and to pursue my, pu- my master's of public health. Um, but, and it was during that time I went to Renfrew. So um, gotcha. I, yeah, so that was surprising um, for me. <laughs> I'm so grateful. Oh my gosh, I had just the best experience at Renfrew. Um, and I'm very open about that because it truly changed my life and my recovery. Um, I think going back to school was hard. Like I think yeah. growing up, seeing an A on a paper and feeling like I am an A, all of the work that I had done, um, going back mm. to that environment and starting to get papers back and not do well in school, like that that's hard to rewrite. You know what I mean? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And, um, it was the end of a really, 
uh, my first long-term relationship and it just, I was just really struggling. And so I ended up finding myself at run through. And at first I think I was not super excited to be there. Um, just because, yeah, I just, I think there was a lot of like, there was a big part of me that felt like I was, yes, I'm on this mental health journey, blah, 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 but like I'm over like being in treatment. And so that, I think that was kind of adjustment for me to realize like, you know, part of this journey, like may mean needing to go back and, and get treatment. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you want me to talk about my experience or like whatever, whatever you, you think would be best. Well, you know, you said it changed your life. I was just curious, like, do you have memories of sort of pivotal moments and what were they? I mean, there's so many different, like there's art therapy, there's psychodrama. I was just curious, like what, what reached you? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, I think a couple of things, I think the, from like the food aspect, I think breaking down food and thinking about like the properties of like why you're eating it was really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. I feel like the past treatment, like it was just like, oh, you need X amount of this or X amount of that. There was no like reason behind it, but understanding mm. like what this yeah. actually does for my body was really helpful. Also, it took a lot of like, it just, I don't know. It really simplified whether it was that aspect or just like being in that environment. Like, I feel like it just, it's just food. Like it just was. And that was like mm-hmm. the thing that I ever saw around food. Like it was always this big thing. It's always going to be a big deal. But I think at Renfrew, my experience there was realizing like, this is just like, that's it. Like, it's just yeah. like, you have to eat, mm-hmm. like you have to eat. Um, and like, this is what it's going to be. This is going to, how it's going to help my body. And like, there are so many other things in my life that deserve my attention. And I really think mm. that that was what was so pivotal for mm. me was realizing like, this is just one part of my life. Like this is, I don't want this to be forever. And like, I think that was really helpful. I also did the trauma track, which was really helpful. Yeah. too. Mm. And I think like writing out my story, um, and kind of understanding and identifying those aspects of like where the trauma, where my eating disorder and, and trauma kind of like intersected. I'd never done before. So that was really helpful. Mm-hmm. And I was also there around Thanksgiving and we had so many practice Thanksgivings that like every Thanksgiving, I'm like, Oh, this is just, it's just stuffing. Like, that's it. Like, it was like having that experience of just like realizing that, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that like having, being there around the holidays was super helpful for me and something that I try and share with a lot of people who struggle around like round food. I, even my therapist was like, you know, that's such a good practicing and recognizing that like, yeah, not giving it the power that I was giving it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holidays can be such a hard time in oh recovery yes. and it can, it can be such a relief to be, to have the support in a treatment center. Yes. Like Thanksgiving. My gosh, that's, that's yeah, a big one. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think just like taking the power out of the food and into, and putting it into me and like my story yes. was like the best thing that I got, um, out of the rent for experience. Yeah. That's amazing. That's awesome. Dana. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. No, it was, it was wonderful. And I love that. I continue to, um, to get to work with rent fruit. So cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was during this time that I started bake it. So you make it, which I thought might be a good I don't know. Where are you thinking? Yes. Let's let's talk about it. So I, I just want to quickly say like one of the things that, um, has captivated us about your story, Dana is 
really how you've kind of moved your recovery story. First, I want to acknowledge that at the very beginning of this, you said recovery is still, it's an active journey, right? Mm -hmm. It is, it is an active daily thing, which is great. Like, I think we should hear those words, right? But that you've moved your recovery into action specifically. So that macro level change, you know? Um, So I would love to learn, I think Sam, maybe, I don't know if you mentioned this yet, like, I want to hear about your trip to the White House. Like, we want to hear. (laughs) You you talked to the Surgeon General. I did. Oh, I have to hear this story. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So I'll give you a little context with Bake It Till You Make It, and then we can talk about that. I think that would be okay. So right before I went to Renfrew, actually, so the summer before my second year of grad school, things were just, you know, one of those moments in your life where like everything's going wrong. Um, So it was like the end of my first relationship. I I got into this car accident um, and that was very pivotal for me because I wasn't living on campus. I was back with my parents in the suburbs. I didn't have a car. All I had was my kitchen. And that's when I started baking. And that's how Bake It Till Make It began. And it was never anything crazy. Like we had like boxes of cake mix and I'm still like, I'm becoming a better baker, but um, it's still, it's still pretty, we keep it pretty simple. It's really like the mental health piece is kind of the, the driving force of Bake It Till You Make It. But I guess that experience, just like not having anything really to do or like being able to leave my house and starting to bake was the first experience I ever had with like food that was just positive um, or that was like fun. Um, Like I started inviting friends over, we would bake together, try new recipes. And that was never something that I did growing up. Like that was never fun. <laughs> Food was never fun. So the idea that, um, I, I could make it fun and I couldn't make, and like, I owned that. And, and also it was a source of connection, um, with people, especially when I was struggling, I think really changed my whole perspective on yeah. what baking could be and help me look at food a little bit from a different lens. I think for so long, it was all about all through the eating disorder lens, but looking at it from a cultural lens, looking at it from like relationship relational lens, like there are so many aspects to food and not to invalidate my younger self, but I guess like, I just, I never, I never had the options or the space to look at it until this, this time. So I decided that I want to write a mental health cookbook. I always wanted to be an author. And so I gathered over 40 different stories of people who struggle with their mental health, um, as well as a recipe that was meaningful to them. Uh, added some resource pages and sent it out into the world. And I kind of thought that um, that was going to be it. Um, But I started doing presentations where I would tell my mental health story, which I had done a little bit. Like my high school invited me back every year to talk um, to like the psychology class about my mental health journey. But this time I was baking while I was talking. So I would be cracking an egg and talking about like the difficult, like when I felt like things were cracking or crumbling for me. And um, that really caught on. And then the beginning of the pandemic hit. And so I started doing these workshops and presentations virtually, which was really cool because people could bake along with me and their yes. like you're watching me bake, like we're doing it together, which was really special. Um, and yeah, I... Now I sit here as a four-time author, I have like a couple other books since then, all cookbooks, all somehow related to food, all somehow related to mental health. Um, and last year at this time, um, so November, 2021. Yeah. I was like, what year is it? November, 2021, randomly scrolling Instagram. I saw 
an application, like go speak at the white house as a mental health advocate. And I was like, okay, sure. Like that was amazing. I remember it vividly, like filling it out. I remember I was like sitting on my bed and then I completely forgot about it. And then this week, a year ago, I got an email like out of nowhere that was like, congratulations, you're a semifinalist for this. And so, oh um, my God. Wow. What, what was, what was, what were you feeling when you yes, saw yeah, that? Yeah. So essentially, <laughs> um, so MTV hosted the first ever youth mental health action forum. So they chose out of like the thousand applicants, they chose 30 young people who were changing the world and um, their mental mental health worlds um, were all from different backgrounds, different like ages, like eighteen to twenty nine. I was twenty nine year old, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I'm still young. You know, whatever. Sorry, you just turned thirty, Dana. I know. I just, just turned, turned thirty. 30. Yes. <laughs> um, and what we did was over six weeks, we got together weekly over Zoom. We got broken up into small groups, and we created different um, kind of pitches um, about uh, different ways we could talk about mental health using. Um, some type of social media, whether it was, um, sharing story, all based in storytelling, not just social media, some media companies. And then, um, we, yes, yeah, so we practiced. And then, um, that we all went to DC over two days and, um, there were several different companies in the audience listening to our pitches. So like companies like Spotify, Snapchat, like, you know, MTV has this amazing, obviously like reputation and just like they're they're the center of the media. So they invited all their closest friends um, to listen to our pitches. And that was amazing. But earlier that day, we all got to sit on the white house stage, but I got to speak at the white house. Um, (laughs) Got to sit and and talk to the surgeon general who said he loved the name make it till you make it. And I got to, I mean, I got just like a couple minutes to talk about what I was doing and, um, Selena Gomez mouthed. That's so cool. She was there. What? Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah, the rare impact fund was like one of the sponsors and, um, I have all this rare beauty makeup, which is really cool. I felt like such a celebrity. We got like these bags of like, like what you see, like influencers get, you know, you got um, swag. Yeah. yeah, you got swag. you got White House swag. <laughs> but the experience was so incredible. Like in a lot of ways, I think as like silly as it sounds, like I feel like I'm still processing it. It was a long, it was last May, but so much has happened since then. Um, and I think it really gave me the confidence, one of a couple of major things, but it did really give me the confidence to be like, okay, like my story is powerful, like my voice is powerful. Yes. I'm gonna turn this into a full-time job. And um, I've been doing that since October and it's hard. I mean, I, it is hard, especially my eating disorder and my struggle with anxiety, which was later a couple of years ago, diagnosed as OCD, which is interesting. I think it really, that thought pattern really matches my anxiety in a way that Mm -hmm. generalized anxiety disorder just doesn't do. Mm -hmm. Um, They love certainty. They want certainty. And like, my current situation is so uncertain. Um, I'm working, yes, I'm working for Active Minds. I'm on their speakers bureau. So um, I'll go and speak. I went to Texas this week. I'm going to New York um, and that's amazing. But like, it's just, you know, it's so uncertain. Like, it's not like going into the office every day and um, knowing like what work is going to look like. And that's amazing. That's great too. Like I had many years of that. Um, But I think that's something that I've been trying to think about is like, well, I must really love this if I'm willing to challenge my mental 
illness in this way um, to recognize that like, in spite of that, I'm going to try and change the world. So yeah. Dana, well, you're so inspirational. Oh, thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Okay. Listen, so I've I I want to share this quote that I found from yeah. you. Um, and because we're kind of you know getting close to our time, but I just want to ask you quickly about this quote. So you said, I put so much pressure on myself to continue to churn out products and inspiration. Sorry that I just said that you were inspirational at that no, point. <laughs> Okay, I'll go back to the quote now. Um, So to turn out products and inspiration and be a beacon of light for everyone at all times. Mm -hmm. When I am learning in reality, the best thing I can do is be honest and be myself, even if it's messy and not necessarily pretty. Um, Can you speak to that for a moment? I I love the authenticity that you're bringing to this and would just love to hear from you about that. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for finding that quote. I like needed my (laughs) self like needed to hear that because I do put a lot of pressure on myself. I'm like, Oh, I'm struggling. Like let's be creative and turn it around. In some ways that is authentic to me sometimes. Like that is how I'm recovering. But I think, you know, it kind of goes back to where we started. Like I think about like the younger version of myself or like the people who are in high school, middle school, wherever they are um, struggling. And I think that I see so many people that I look up to and follow who are of the mindset, like, this is my journey. It's over. Let me help you. And I'm like, that is not helpful to me. I just think about what I would have wanted my younger self and my current self. Like I know, cause I feel like that's unrealistic. And, and mm-hmm. even like the idea that pressure I put on myself to turn out projects is unrealistic as much as mm-hmm. I want it to be. I do feel that pressure to be a beacon of light. Um, because I think mm-hmm. that in some ways that is really authentic to who I am, but I also feel like, as I said, toward the end of the quote, and what I'm really trying to embrace right now is it's okay that like, I'm not, I'm not a machine. I'm not a fortune 500 company. Like I'm not <laughs> turning out products. Like I am a person and, um, I'm just doing my best. And that's truly like all I could ask of myself in this moment, but also like all I, my younger self could ask for me or like younger, the younger generation, I think in a lot of ways. So I don't know, I guess that, that's my, yeah. that's my thought on it now, but I also think, yeah, I guess just like the last thing that I'll add is like, I think that I also want to honor that sometimes like that is the way I feel and find recovery, you know, like in yeah. creating and being creative and that's awesome, but it's not all the time. So yeah. honoring that. Yeah. Nina, this has been amazing. Thank you. Me for me as well. I'm so glad you think so. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just like blobbing along. Um, I hope so. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you both. It's, it's quite amazing to be here. Oh, we're so happy to have you. And I hope maybe you even come back for another episode one day. Oh, yes. part two. Yes. <laughs> Anytime. I would love that so much. Thank you for listening to All Bodies, All Foods. I hope you enjoyed the story of Dana and all that she's been through and all she's accomplished. If you love this episode, you can support us by subscribing, rating, leaving a review or sharing with others. And if you want more, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Our handle is at Renfrew Center. For free education, events, trainings, webinars, resources, and blogs, you can head over to our website, www.renforcenter.com. And if you have any comments or questions you'd like us to answer in a future episode, you can email them to podcast at renforcenter.com. I hope you join us next time on All Bodies, All Foods. 
Thank you for listening with us today on All Bodies, All Foods, presented by the Renfrew Center for Eating Disorders. We're looking forward to you joining us next time as we continue these conversations.